From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 164, and today I am joined by Canadian filmmaker Jordi Saba. Jordi's films include A Sunday Kind of Love and recently released Canadian Strain. Both films are available on VOD. Please check them out and support Jordi. I think his work is pretty awesome. And today we're going to sit down and watch a film together. Well, not really together, but you'll see. So we're sitting down uh, to watch A Better Tomorrow. Sitting down vicariously through isolation, I should say. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen this film. And I'm Jordy, and I have seen this film. I love uh, this film. And I literally only, I had to double check. I knew that it was like a Hong Kong action movie. And I was like, I think it's John Woo. I, I, I just looked that up before we jumped on the call because I wanted to at least know that. But I know nothing about this movie other than the director and the runtime. That's amazing. You're in for a treat. This and is I, the film, film that started Hong Kong action cinema. So this is the film that kick-started everything. And I'm going to assume it's Chow Young-Fat? Yes, and his, uh, it made him a superstar. Okay, that's yeah. my. I was just going to yeah. make an assumption there, but I didn't yeah. know yeah, that this, for sure. This is the film that's considered... Uh, Number two. Yeah. So they, you know, they pulled the critics and the filmmakers in China and, and it was number two in the top 100 of Chinese films. And it's a, it was a massive hit. And literally this is the beginning of Hong Kong action cinema. So you're going to see where it all started with this movie. I'm so excited for you to watch this movie. (laughs) I'm so excited. I, uh, are you, um, are you big into the genre generally? Uh, Yeah. Massively. The genre for me, this like Hong Kong action cinema has a very like a personal meaning for me because in 97, when Hong Kong uh, was turned over to the Chinese, if you remember back in the day, um, a Hong Kong businessman who was very, very wealthy and had immigrated into Canada saw that a lot of Hong Kong people were immigrating into Canada, into Vancouver and Toronto. I don't know if you remember this growing no. up, but yeah. So when basically when Hong Kong was going to get turned over to, from Britain to China, um, a lot of people left a lot of Hong Kong sort of businessmen left and came to Canada because there's obviously, obviously the Vancouver connection. And so a very wealthy individual, I never knew his name. It was very private, basically thought it would be a good idea to get 12 uh, kids from high school from across Canada and send them over to Hong Kong so they would have an understanding of the culture uh, pr- prior to this kind of happening. And every it was open to every 
person in every high school student in Canada, you have to write an essay about what it would mean to you to go to Hong Kong. And he chose 12 people from across Canada. And I was one of them. Wow. Yeah. How long were you there for? It was, it was insane. It was a month long experience. And we basically, he flew us over there and we were put up with people in Hong Kong. And then we also spent uh, a couple of days in Macau and we also did Southern China as well. And basically we were put up in Hong Kong. And so we all came from all over Canada. There are 12 of us. And uh, I was basically, we got on the shuttle bus, Jerry, and we were like ferried into Hong Kong. And we were the first group of tourists in after the changeover. So the day after the changeover, when Hong Kong became part of China, we were the first group of foreigners in the new Hong Kong. And uh, we got in and people were still switching flags and badges and everything else. And they basically said, well, you're going to stay with families across Hong Kong people. So basically we got like set off. They dropped everyone else off in pretty much the wealthiest area of Hong Kong. So every morning we had to go teach English at uh, one of these private schools. And so one of the people chosen, she got chauffeured in every day. Like they, they had like, they were in incredible circumstances. I was the last person on the bus and I got dropped off into the projects in Hong Kong. Oh, amazing. (laughs) And I was taken in by uh, their secretary, basically, whoever this, these people were in a one, like a two room apartment in the poor area of Hong Kong. And her husband was a bus driver and she had a, a son named Henry who was my age as well. And so basically we were in this tiny apartment and I was the only foreigner forever for a long time I'm around. And um, the, this is the advantage of it was that we were basically able to run. Like we were up all night running around town and we had a bus pass and Henry took me all over Hong Kong. So I got to explore sort of the better tomorrow version of Hong Kong, if you want, like the back alleys and the illegal bars and this, that, and the other thing. Well, you must've had a much more genuine experience than the others. Yeah. I had a different experience. They had the very, very wealthy experience of servants and chauffeurs and Hong Kong jockey club. So they had like at the time, some of the wealthiest people in the world were in Hong Kong. And then I had sort of the working class experience, which, uh, provided another two hour podcast of adventures, including like police raids and all sorts of crazy things happening (laughs) when we, we were running around. And then um, when we were in China, we were at a hotel and we were allowed out and I went exploring into this city in Southern China and with one of the guys and I was out just being a teenager, basically looking for fun things to do. And one of the things I saw was uh, down this alley up a, staircase there was this red curtain there and a lot of sort of music and stuff coming out and i thought oh great this ought to be interesting red curtain and you know teenage boys wandering their minds so i went up and uh went in it was pitch black and there were leather couches and just a whole bunch of went in and looked up and they were just playing action films they were playing hong kong Asian action films and we sat there all night with these guys in this smoke filled like sheet for a screen room 
and watched all of these action films and it was amazing. It was so cool. That's what a what an amazing I had no idea about that you watched it ever since. That's such a great story. So what was the essay you wrote about? Like what was your your main topic that got you in, you think? I can't remember. It was really like, you know, I come from my dad's an immigrant, so I knew a little bit of I had lived in came in, so I knew I'd had some experience sort of coming from different cultures, different backgrounds and trying to settle in Canada. I, I was born here, but I left when I was two. So for me, I think it was an easy transition to, to understand being a bit different and having to fit into sort of the Canadian value chain, as you will, especially as a student, as a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And then it was an incredible experience. I mean, Hong Kong, yeah, it was, we were up, you know, all night basically. And Hong Kong really lives at night. And so definitely uh, the city ha- has a, oh man, we got into so, oh, so many great adventures in Hong Kong, <laughs> especially when you're like 16, 17, you have the run of a city. Oh, it was amazing. We, just saw, we saw where Bruce Lee was and we, you know, had all the DVD, mar- all the fake, fake markets there and picking up DVDs and at one point, Henry and I got caught in a police raid, so they shut us inside the store because the police came to raid the market, and then they promised us like free stuff if we kept quiet. So <laughs> by the end of it, we like ended up with all these CDs. I think Spice Girls was in. I think that was one of the CDs we got. Amazing. So, yeah, it was an amazing. And so for me, you know, these movies kind of have a personal connection, and I also just love action. And uh, it's they're just it, it's so much fun. It's such a great genre. And it bounces into like in the mood for love too, which is like 1960s Hong Kong. But yeah, they all speak to kind of. Yeah. Do you yeah. think uh, you'll ever make do write something about that this like time period in your life? Yeah, probably at one point. I mean, I did an action film uh, already, a short, and it was an amazing experience. You know, and we did a lot of martial arts in it, and you know, um, the the fight coordinator I worked with master Tommy Chang and, and I, we spent a lot of time with these movies and it really opened my eyes to the complexity of making action cinema and, and how difficult it is. And also how much artistry is involved, Oh yeah, which is often totally overlooked. You know, it's just like, looks so easy and it's dismissed as, you know, just another gunplay or, or whatnot. But um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing learning curve for me as a filmmaker. And, you know, we were very thrilled to, to do a move, uh, in that movie that according to him has never been done before. So I was super excited to add something very small to the canon of action, Asian action cinema. And what's that short? I don't know this short. What's it called? Uh, it was called The Proposal. It was with, uh, Missy Peregrine from, and Peter Mooney from Rookie Blue. I think Missy's on FBI now, right down the States. But yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, we it was... Will... It, and is that available online to watch for people? It, Omicron in San Diego, which is another very cool experience. Hmm? Oh, is, is the short available online for people to watch? Yeah, yeah, it's available. It's on, yeah, it's on YouTube or on my website. It's, yeah, open. You can just go watch it. Okay, right I will check that out at some point. It too. was loads of fun. Okay, sweet. Well, I don't know anything else about this, and I don't want to be spoiled by anything, so I think we should just jump into it. Let's go. Let's watch this movie. All right, let's do it. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we just finished. We did indeed. Uh, so how long has it been since you've re- revisited it? I revisited A Better Tomorrow about 
so they had their 30th anniversary in 2015, I think. And I was actually, this movie was really hard to get just so you know, even though it's so acclaimed, like for me, I mean, hard boiled is easier and you know, those were all released, but um, this one was, was really hard to find. And actually what triggered it for me was in just to give you in Shanghai, I, I had a movie there at the film festival and I was wandering around the city and then at one of the big sort of halls not even a cinema like one of those big kind of conference halls or whatever they had a huge billboard right across it that said a better tomorrow you know 30th anniversary so it's still like it they were celebrating it and i guess having retrospective in shanghai about it and that kind of triggered for me to kind of find it and it was still pretty difficult to get it but i got it there i got the dvd and revisited the movie and i think now it's right it's on youtube and after that oh okay everything so, so it's, it's gotten so a little a bit nice yeah i uh it's it's interesting i uh i i kind of found i, I gotta tell you um probably because you built it up so much too uh which which um never helps the movie i i i really enjoyed it but i think i was expecting i think something different i don't know quite what interesting well have you watched his other like the john woo films like hard-boiled and are you a no, fan of them? I haven't seen much John, like non-American John Woo, to be honest with you. I've seen like uh, a lot of his North American stuff. Uh, I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of Jackie Chan. Like that's the kind of the, uh, this type of cinema that I'm more familiar with, his stuff, which is a totally different style. Um, yeah, totally different style. Yeah, so that's, yeah, the martial, although they, John Woo gave him one of his first big breaks, I think, in Young Dragons, right? That was choreographed by Jackie Chan. Yeah. Uh, John Woo's film. Yeah, so The Killer and Hard Boiled, you haven't seen then? No. Ah, interesting. So you've seen John Woo's, like, American stuff. Yeah, which is not by no means a comparison to this kind of stuff. No, like, MI2 wasn't... Face-Off face, face was pretty good. He had, like, a lot of influence on that later, like, in terms of convincing him to come over and do it. Yeah, I, I quite dug face off. I mean, I'm sure I, I can't imagine it holds up super well. I bet it's cheesy as hell now. Uh, but at the time, I remember seeing it and really, really dug it. It was also uh, the, uh, strange. I have a weird relationship with face off because it was the first movie I went to with like my long term high school girlfriend. So it was like I had a weird emotional attachment to face off. What was that? I hope that was was that a first date movie? Yeah, it was a first date movie. I'm not kidding. And so we spent the whole movie like awkwardly like holding hands and not, you know, it was just one of those things. So it's like for some reason that movie has like a weird soft spot for me. It's amazing. Yeah. Like your own little Seinfeld episode in that. Yeah. All right, well, what didn't you like? That's so interesting that you didn't. Like so, are you a fan of Hong Kong action cinema? Yeah, like, here's the thing. That way. I, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like it at all because I, I I did enjoy it. But I think what I was expecting um, was that the action sequences would just be not as grounded as they were, like almost more choreographed in a way. Like they felt like more uh, grounded isn't the right word, but they felt more organic to the piece as opposed to like, oh, here's a bunch of set pieces with a thin plot. Like I was actually impressed in the sense that 
the story was stronger than I was expecting for this kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he gets bigger, like obviously the killer and hard-boiled. You know, there's a famous sort of hospital shootout where he basically goes through the whole hospital and just shoots loads of people. And it's very epic and very long. And I guess the first hint of that, of what's to come, was in this one when you get that sort of diner scene, you know, when he goes into the restaurant. And that that kind of launched his career and Chow, Chow's career as well, right? Like that that kind of i guess it's not not as big as we're used to but at the time this was so bloody that it literally had the hong kong motion rating system was established because of this movie (laughs) even though it may seem a bit cheesy at the time in 1986 this was like super gory bloody action (laughs) yeah and that's the other thing too you know 30 30 some odd years later we're uh accustomed to this kind of thing too so you know, you. Re- I had to put myself into the the context of the time it was released in to kind of really appreciate uh, where it lands in terms of, of of cinema and what's going on at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, the ending is phenomenal. Like that whole. Uh, I especially love uh, Chow Young Fat's death, which is like right in the middle of a big emotional speech. I just love how that happened. The big music cues. It's always big. It's always oh, like a the, big the melodrama. Mo- the movie has no problem letting you know exactly how it wants you to feel. Yeah, and that continues on. I find a lot of Asian cinema, still, I think it's gotten a little bit less than some of the recent films I've seen, but it's, that continues on. You know, like that's always a big thing, right? Exactly how to feel in a certain certain point and, and with music and the big sort of the big epic melodrama. It's yeah, funny how exactly. they fit an act gangster action with melodrama together though right like especially at the end right when he's blown up in the forehead but he's in the middle of a big speech about brotherhood that's what i loved i kind of like it was it was perfect because it was a nice shock it's like it's like you're expecting but of course but also i love that it's like i love when movies do the smart thing and i'm like yeah he's standing up there in the middle of a gunfight of course they're gonna shoot at him of course, but don't you like how the brother's still mad at the other brother in the middle of a gunfight? Like, they're still having it out. Like, it doesn't matter that they've just shot their way out. It's still, there's no forgiveness. It's like cutthroat, right? He yeah, stuck exactly. his guns to the bitter end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is like this movie, you know, for Chow, I mean, that trench code, like, made him in Asia. That was like the once upon a time in the West homage right but that trench coat sold out and there's even a term in cantonese for that particular coat because everyone wanted to be him and the sunglasses that he wears which were like alan delon you know the french actors that was his sort of style those were his sunglasses type thing they sold out of asia and then alan delon wrote him a personal thank you note afterwards i guess because alan delon probably made a lot of money off sunglasses but uh yeah, the whole thing in Hong Kong is so humid in the summer. So the idea of wearing a trench coat is absolutely like bonkers. Bonkers. And then people try to copy that. It's, oh, man. That's, yeah. It's like, come on. Yeah. So the, the cultural effect on this movie was fairly vast in terms of making like that action superstar. Whereas Jackie Chan, who I also love, I love his movies. I love Police Story, was, you know, for the, oh, for the stunts, absolutely incredible um but yeah different style of of movie 
Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really, really, really dug. I mean, I really dug. I, I, again, I, I didn't mean to give the false impression that I, I, I wasn't enjoying it. I was just kind of expecting something, I guess, cheesier in a way. Like, I don't know what it was. Like, because it, it was, it had like, it was definitely like you nailed it. It's melodrama meets action. Um, but uh, it was still kind of like, yeah, the, the the action wasn't as over the top as I was expecting it to be, uh, except for the ending. But then even then it felt like realistic in the sense that it wasn't just, uh, yeah, overly choreographed. No. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with Jackie Chang, you're getting that extreme choreography, big set pieces, big watching him, him kind of work. But even yeah, Police Story was huge. Have you seen Police Story? Oh, yeah. I love Police Story. Yeah. Yeah. It's the mall and everything. Yeah. So I hear you. Yeah. This stuff is more like, I think later, you know, if you watch the later ones or like the hospital, they're definitely bigger and bigger set pieces because he had obviously more money. And this was a huge box office hit. So you can see the sort of the lineage kind of. And then there's loads of cheesy ripoffs of, of the style, right? Like Hong Kong actually you know gung fu gung fu right the two hand two gun shootout type thing starts here and then obviously yeah it's definitely you know many of the movies i ended up watching that night in china were very bad ripoffs of a better tomorrow but um yeah these are all kind of the stories yeah it's solid i mean for me as a, a filmmaker i mean seeing this stuff was kind of one of my first exposures to you know, my father loved Western, so I grew up with the cowboy. And then, you know, to see that reinterpreted elsewhere was pretty interesting as, you know, as a young guy seeing sort of another interpretation of movies that you loved, right? So I'm sure part of my love stems from my love of Westerns. That was an easy transition, right, into this, no problem. Yeah, and my I'm more familiar with, like, all Kurosawa stuff, Um which you know leads you into John Ford and all those kind of things, right? Of course, yeah. And this would be the Sergi Leone, the spaghetti westerns, you know, stuff uh, that would come out of it, right? Like the loyalty among brothers, and although the lineage, like in this, is pretty Chinese in terms of loyalty among generals, right? Which obviously can go into Seven Samurai as well, right? So there yeah. is a common theme of of it here, but. Uh, yeah, it was an easy jump for me to make and still is kind of the old school Western here, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all, all of the shootouts, good guy versus bad. Yeah, it's just classic good versus evil. And But I like the storyline. There was also like a hint of uh, infernal affairs in this. Oh, you know? yeah, of course. Of course, yeah, absolutely. With the, with the two different, in a different way, like the nice thing that was about this one was, I thought the movie was smart. Like it was smarter than I was expecting to be, I guess is is the thing. Because, uh, and not that Infernal Affairs isn't smart, Infernal Affairs is amazing. Uh, but it's, uh, like that movie is just about you waiting for the other side to figure out who's on what side. And what I liked about this movie is it wasn't like the brothers spent the whole movie before they realized they were fighting on opposite sides, it was like they figured it out pretty quick. Uh, and it yeah. wasn't, and it didn't get resolved. Like, I think like the comedy version of this would be that they're stuck together throughout the entire movie, but that's not what it is either. Like there's, they're constantly not, you know, the one brother isn't trying to avoid the other one. Ho isn't trying to avoid uh, the cop, but um, yeah, no, I just really like that. It just felt kind of like 
surprisingly honest and fresh inside of uh, all the tropes that it's playing within. Well, it's like a good film noir, right? It's yeah. playing with the same tropes, but if you do it right, it feels meaningful and it's like a decent film, right? If it's done badly, it's horrible, but you know, people aren't necessarily killed for no meaning here either. Right. Like they all kind of, you know, there's a bit of excess, but nothing like right over the top and they're all bad people who get it in the end anyway. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting. <laughs> like it's weird cause it's, it's gratuitous, but it's not. And I don't know if that makes any sense. Totally. Like it's kind of, it, it could, it just could be a bit way more over the top. Like I think it actually found a nice middle ground where it wasn't, I was never eye rolling, which sometimes a movie like this could easily induce where you're like, come on. Like it felt, I, I, I don't know. I just think it, yeah, it, it was very, very well made. Yeah, it, it was like, and for, and it's, they've only since gotten better, which is whatever I always, you know, cause I continue to watch this genre of film and they've gotten the plots have gotten smarter. You know, there's always the, I just saw one recently. It was really good. They made like three of them. I'm trying to remember what it is. Maybe I'll send it over to you, but it was really well done. The, they've gotten consistently like stronger, not only in their production value, but in their plots and the twists and the turns and acting. And yeah. So it's a lineage I've kept up with. Yeah. Since I fell in love with it, which is interesting. And this movie, they spit out two sequels pretty quick after. Yeah, and they weren't that great. The sequels were, yeah, weren't great. And I think, well, they made them purely for money. You know, Chow says in interviews he wasn't happy with them. And they kind of, he comes back as a brother. And it just kind of got ridiculous. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, because they were so strong. And I think um, other Asian countries, and they were so, you know, wanting those sequels that they kind of made them. Yeah. That's interesting that's so bonkers did you see the um the big uh, criterion announcement today the bruce lee one yeah yeah the re i don't know if that was previously re- announced that was the first time i saw it was today uh, well but, yeah enter the dragon yeah, of course yeah All i haven't seen i haven't seen i don't think i've seen any of those movies oh no no, so again, that's uh, uh, and I just picked up the other one that I I uh, got recently uh, was the Zetauchi. I, I think I'm saying it wrong. There's the Japanese, the Blind Swordsman series. Oh, interesting. It's this Japanese series. There, if you have the Criterion Channel, I think they're all on there, or at least the I first. I haven't seen that one, those ones. I mean, Enter the Dragon, you know, was a huge hit in North America, and then the next one which was the next biggest was John Woo's the killer. So the killer was the kind of the one that came over right. to North America, which is really good. The killer is really good as well. And that was a huge success for them. So that, yeah, it mirrored kind of the Bruce Lee and then Chow became a star and then obviously Jackie Chang. And yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. The, and then the like, whole run just came along. Yeah. What's interesting. I mean, as a, like as a filmmaker for me, what's interesting is, you know, you that was my first one of my first exposures to international cinema of stuff that I loved not like kind of let's say the highbrow stuff which came later for me I was not a film student or a film geek so for me it was really a 
exposure in terms of uh, filmmaking from another culture, which I fell in love with and, and could relate to. But then following it, it's interesting to see how quickly and often how North America kind of relegates it to second position in terms of Asian filmmaking or even European filmmaking with the occasional exceptions. But in actual fact, you know, the rest of the world is well caught up to North American filmmaking in terms of plot, production, uh, interest. So it's always been a good kind of litmus test to forget to, to say like the rest of the world is on par with us from filmmaking. I think yeah. we forget that a lot of times, you know, especially the Oscars, for example, it's like one category, best foreign film, but like there's a whole other world out there, you know, and was brought up with the whole subtitle remark, right? Obviously uh, uh, this year with Parasite winning, but it's been around for a while. No, that's just it. And so in ter- do you see yourself making something like, you know, if obviously the fund it requires more funds to do so, but is this the kind of film that you would want or like the genre that you would love to play in uh, if you had the the ability to play with a bigger canvas? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it. I keep up to it so much. So, I mean, so much is, yeah, could we play with this canvas? Uh, we can interpret it for sure. If, we ha- if I had a bigger budget, I would interpret it. I think there's a lot of lineage and obviously stunts and action sequences and, you know, that... <laughs> you well you can interpret it like tarantino did right like his what was city on fire was reservoir dogs and then yeah luke besson's leon was the killer basically john woo's the killer internal affairs obviously the departed so yeah would i love to if i had a bigger budget yeah and it would totally feed into my love of film noir and action and westerns yeah i would totally play in this world if i if i could i got a little taste of it and i would go back in a heartbeat um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's a way to uh, even like do it on a smaller, smaller scale that like could give you what you wanted. You could like, but I mean, for example, just in terms of, and in terms of timeline, like that short, we shot in two days, but we prepped for six months every day, practicing fights and training and, you know, every move has to be choreographed. And so, yeah, it, it's just a, kind of a human it's a true human labor right there's no fx really around this stuff if you want to do it right you got to get the people to do it so absolutely i mean you could still do it there's definitely the talent is even in toronto um in and in vancouver is there uh but uh yeah you could definitely do it for you know and people are going back to it now you see that right like now that people are going to go get rid of all the green screen and stuff and go back to kind of classic action yeah. sequence right I mean, that's what I've always modeled kind of the way I shoot action comedy, uh, what little of action comedy I put into my movies, kind of the way Chan shoots where it's all wides and you get and everything that happens, you get to see happen. So, you know, it's it's happening for real and we're not covering it with like a million uh, shots that just hide all the action and make it so you're not actually doing the stunts. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you yeah, saw and the way he sh- sh- shoots it is yeah, and the way you kind of frame around it. But there's artistry in it, right? Like that's what people kind of forget. All the stuff, the amount of labor and the amount of thought that you put through it. Yeah, but you uh, want like, to do it properly. Like you watched yeah. uh, James versus uh, Future Self, and I mean it's in the trailer, so this doesn't spoil anything. But there's that shot where James jumps off the dumpster and just lands flat on the ground. Uh, 
And for me, and of course they, they're trying to talk me into a million different ways. Like, well, we can just cut to the ground. He lands on. And I'm like, yeah, you can do all that, but then I don't want to do it. Like if I don't see him in a big wide shot, jump off a dumpster and land and hit the ground in the same shot, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like that. Real, right? Yeah. That's common for me. But even like the way I wanted him to land was almost cartoonish where they're working with a stunt guy. I'm like, I want you to basically float and just fly down. And it was, it, it was amazing how I didn't realize how complicated that was to make it look like that, where he just kind of like went side, like literally flat and then just went down like that. Like the way he had to kick his legs up and everything was a feat of agility. I was not expecting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think John Wick was the kind of that series kind of showed, I think a lot of audiences here, the complexity of doing stunts properly. And when they saw how hardcore Keanu was, and obviously I think they kind of, yeah, it, it's definitely an undercredited area. Oh, for sure. 100%. And then there's that was it, Atomic Blonde came out, not to, uh, that has that big giant 15 minute one take action sequence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Which, the, the, actually, the most impressive thing to me in that was how hidden the, um, the makeup effects were. Because what I loved about that sequence wasn't just the choreography, I thought that was phenomenal. But the uh, just how bloody she gets throughout, like that's the part that really sells it because you know that, I mean, they're hiding cuts throughout that thing. But it's just like the thing that killed me was like, it looks like she's getting her ass kicked. And where, where, at what point are they applying this makeup and all of this stuff that's physically happening to her? Because by the end of it, she's a bloody mess. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's the part that killed me in that sequence more so than the, just the great car. Cause for me, I'm like, I know how they do great choreography. You just plan the hell out of it and plan it within an inch of his life. I don't know how they did the trick with the makeup and that kind of stuff. Like that's the part that kind of was, a, was the magic trick for me. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, these movies, I don't know, I guess, yeah. Do we make, it's funny. It's such a traditional storyline, these things. And it's such a cowboy type film which i love it's just so simple and there's honor and loyalty and you know you 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 know tough guy honorable tough guys and stuff yeah it's interesting but you have to yeah you have to keep it simple because what you want to be fancy is the is all that other stuff right you don't want people to get not that not that you can't have like complex emotions and that kind of stuff within it like this has the great relationship with the brother It's, it's all you need is this great, like, automatic conflict. Like, give us a great universal conflict, and then that's all we need to be to get emotionally tied in with this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's now you have a lot of anti-heroes, I suppose, right? Like, if you see, I don't know if we're coming to the end of that stream, but you have the, like, the Joker, and you have all these other films. And so, yeah, I wonder if we'll go back to the classic good versus good versus evil where it's all kind of clean clear cut and you know where everyone stands and you know the bad brother isn't that quite bad and it's also it's it's also basic in a way i mean the marvel yeah the marvel movies are very much that right there's not a lot of uh anti-heroes in the marvel movies really yeah, but it's always got that element of fantasy, right? Like, you don't, you, right. know, you know, like cowboys and these guys, you're like, oh, maybe they might exist in the world and you might know someone who's kind of like them. Whereas I think Marvel, because it's so fantasy and 
already, yeah, it's not, you're always aware of the, the fantasy. Yeah, the artifice. Yeah, you're yeah, right. right? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. Like they're moping around with their, you know, superpowers, right? And, but I uh, guess that's the other question too, is like, are, you know, we are getting, like, I think John Wick's the closest thing we get uh, to like making something of this in the modern era because we're not really making anything that's not on this giant spectacle scale of these kind of movies. It's almost like, it's kind of like how the $20 million uh, romantic comedy doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's a great point. You're true. Like, I mean, Bad Boys came out finally, and I guess that was a lot. That was an old callback to this type of, yeah, but you are right. They're, they're kind of, these type of movies are, have fallen by the wayside as well in terms of, you know, or they've gone in Netflix and even, I don't, I think become not that great. I always watch them, but I'm never impressed in terms of. Yeah, but even Bad Boys. As you said, it was a, it was a pretty good story. Yeah, but even Bad Boys, yeah. you know, to your point, uh, Bad Boys for Life, the only way that gets made is because it's, uh, it's a sequel to, uh, you know, a built-in franchise that they're able to capitalize yeah, on. Yeah, and, and I think they forget, which is one of the remarks you said after watching it was like it was pretty not badly written, like the plot and the script. I mean, I know it was basic, but it was still not badly done for what it needed to do. Whereas I find like these new actions go for the set pieces and kind of forget any character development or any investiture in who these people are. They just go from set piece to set piece to set. No, piece. they totally, And they put me to sleep. Like, honestly, the fast <laughs> and the fear, the fast and the furious movies. And even though I still watch them, I, they, I, I pass out during them because I just go into what I call like, like action fatigue where I, my brain can't handle or understand everything that's going on because it's just so quick, 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 quick. And none of it really matters either. You know, it's like there's so many turns and reversals inside these action sequences and just it's just shit getting blown up and crashed into and none of it really matters. Yeah, the first one's developed the whole family thing, right? Like ride or yeah, die. The first one's and great. They were great. The first a couple of them that you know, and maybe the Number six, I guess, the one where they had all the characters and we loved them and they were funny and, you know, yeah, you're right. The recent ones have, have not, have either plugged in our heartstrings, you know, remember this, remember Paul, but haven't developed it further. But yeah, the first couple were like this, you, you know, you're good guy, bad guy, not quite good guy, switches sides. Like, yeah, it's basically, there's a lot of influence coming out of this type of genre for those type of movies and characters we love and yeah. yeah, it's true. You're right. They've kind of left that all by the wayside now. We'll see. I mean, everything always gets secular, and especially. But I think what's. I mean, we've kind of. I've mentioned that we've been talking about this a bit on uh, a couple of these episodes that we've been recording during isolation. But just this idea of you know the kind of filmmaking we're going to return to coming out of this because it's going to be like all those films that went into those big giant films that went into hiatus. Like, who knows how long it's going to take for them to be able to return to what they're doing because they require such big crews, you know, where what's actually going to happen is it's going to be guys like you and me that, that can get away with making a movie with 20 people that we're going to potentially have more opportunity to get up and running faster. Yeah, I mean, you would you would hope so. I mean, the only thing that's going to happen, I guess, for at least six months is a glut of these massive movies you know, falling one after another as people scramble to get them out. So, 
I'm yeah, sure when we the, get out of it. Oof, yeah. Th- there's the pipeline of movies that didn't get released, but then there's going to be this lull in the middle of, you know, where these other ones that were had to st- shut down production still weren't able to ramp up for a while. Like even once we're start we're going to they kind of open the doors and we're allowed to, you know, be around other people after a while. It's still going to be a while before these big movies are up and running, I I would imagine. Yeah, I bet you. Yeah, and there'll be a desire for some escapist fare and it'll be interesting what that desire kind of percolates to in terms of i'm sure though people want to get out of you know just escape to somewhere and i'll be curious to know where but also the question just comes down to is like people you know the ideas of will they return to the cinemas because people want to get out of their houses but do they want to go in their houses and sit in a dark room or do they want to get in their houses and be in the world amongst other people, you know, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how society kind of uh, comes back in the upcoming, you know, months or however long it is. Anyway, I digress, but that's, uh, but it is interesting to think about these, these kind of movies that haven't existed for a while, if we're going to see a return and if that's going to be kind of a byproduct of COVID. Yeah. I mean, and and this obviously genre has, kind of influenced, you know, gun, gun foods influenced all these other American films and kind of flowed through and then kind of gone away, but it hasn't gone away in Asia. I think there's still a strong action, you know, and a lot of these actors, I mean, John Woo was in it as the inspector with his little cameo there chasing everybody down. He's in a lot of his movies and, yeah. uh, you know, Leslie, the brother, he went on to days of being wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wong Kar Wai, and then he became the biggest what Canto Pop sensation. He was one of the founding fathers of Canto Pop. So it's interesting to see. Uh, Chow's just kind of he's gone back to Asia. I think he didn't really have success over here, right? He he had a couple, and then that was it. No, he was more like a a flavor of the month. Yeah, but even Jackie Chan's gone back now. Like he's they're making movie after movie over in Asia. Well, yeah, that's where his people are, his team is. Well, I think it's also that the kind of filmmaking he does here isn't the same as the stuff he does there. No, that's true. Yeah, I prefer it. It's great. Uh, any final thoughts? No, it's great. I, I still, I love, I love the genre. I love the movie. I was right back on that black leather couch in some city in, in southern China, with smoke-filled room, and a bunch of guys who looked a lot like the gangsters in this movie and we all sat in absolute silence and watched these things. It was absolutely brilliant. So for me, it was, it's always a great to revisit this film and uh, yeah, I love the genre and I continue to love it. Oh, amazing. Well, you have such a great relationship with it. Uh, well, thank you for, this is a movie that I probably would not, would not have been on my radar. So I really appreciate uh, you, uh, you bring it up. Oh yeah, it's the father of the father of them all. So it's, it was amazing watching with you. And uh, now I want to watch. Yeah, we'll we'll keep going on some other action sides. We're going to go to the Japanese side next. I haven't seen those. So oh, nice. Yeah, well, I, I can save Zatoshi for you. Yeah, and there's 25 of those in that series. It's kind of bonkers. Oh, jeez, amazing. Yeah, totally different action style. Very different. See. Yeah. Very different. And yeah, they're great. Amazing. All right, sir. Well, thanks for joining wow. me Thank you. amidst thanks your isolation. Yeah, it's great to talk to other people. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and escape to the other side of the world <laughs> in 1980s Hong Kong. Yeah.
Exactly. I know, I know you won't say much, but next time I see you, you'll be rocking the trench coat and the glasses, right? I know, I know that's what's going to happen. I think my brother-in-law has got one kicking around the farmhouse here that I can, I can borrow. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to, when I walk my dog tomorrow, you can just imagine that's what I'll be doing. That's it. No one will have, know what you're doing. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jordy. Awesome. All right. Take care. Let's all Thanks for joining us for A Better Tomorrow. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.